This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. Marketing Jam is brought to you by Cyber Impact, the email marketing platform made specifically for Canadian small businesses. Go to cyberimpact.com forward slash jelly, create a free account, and start sending Castle compliant promotional emails in just a few clicks. Here's your host, Darian Kovacs. I want to welcome everyone to the newest episode of Marketing Jam. This is a different take, which I'm really excited about because those that are in marketing, those that are CMOs, those that work agency side, money, uh, you know, rules all things around me. Uh, mo money, mo problems. You've heard all the song lyrics. And so we have Spencer here from Shift Financial Insights, who's going to help us navigate the world of numbers, the world of finance. And for those that are on the very heavy creative side, sometimes financials and numbers really aren't your strength. And so uh, Spencer is going to work over this next um, 25 minutes on how do we strengthen our language, our understanding, and our kind of breadth of knowledge and grasp on all things financials. So Spencer, really appreciate you being here. Um, like be all here. Thank good, you so much. Yeah. Like all good stories and all good kind of Marvel stories, we'd love to hear your origin story of how you ended up doing what you're doing right now. Yeah, actually, I love the story. So um, I've been a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization for almost 15 years. I've actually had uh, different operating businesses in manufacturing, construction, and cold storage. Um, and a few years ago, I was in a, a presentation. His name was Alan Miltz, M-I-L-T-Z. Feel free to look him up. He's, he's brilliant. And he was presenting his his financial model. It was basically, um, uh, trying to remember what it's called off the spot right now, but uh, cash is king, profit is sanity, cash is king. Anyway, um, mm. and basically he's really brilliant and he goes through kind of how banks look at your financials. But what I found, and I'm a CPA, so I was following no problem, mm. but I could look around the room and tell that all the other entrepreneurs weren't. weren't. And at one point I actually corrected one of Alan's formulas, which everyone thought was hilarious because it was over most people's heads. And a guy at the ta- I was at a table with, he looked at me and said, hey, Spencer, can you put this in my business for me? And I had this aha moment that everybody in the room knew it was super important stuff. And Alan's brilliant. Like, I have mm-hmm. huge respect for the work he's done. The issue is it's not relatable for entrepreneurs, and people just don't know how to use it. So that was actually how I started it. And I, I kind of had this aha moment. I was, I was working. I was advising a few different companies at the time. I'd exited all of my businesses. And I was complaining to an old director of sales I had saying, you know, I've got all these startups I'm working with, but I can't even get basic financial information, like not even Mm -hmm. basic for me to advise them. And I said, you know, if I only had Anna, who is my old controller, if I only had Mm -hmm. Anna, I could go and I clean up all these companies and I can do what I do. Mm -hmm. And she said, have you talked to Anna? (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, no, she goes, call Anna. So I called Anna and, and Anna and I said, don't quit your job, but here's what I'm thinking. And Literally two weeks later, she called me and said, I quit my job. And I said, I guess we're doing this. So that's how I started Shift. Um, basically designing financial information in a way that makes sense for entrepreneurs. That's amazing. Yeah. So speaking to those that are um, own agencies and own, may say, marketing companies, they use mm-hmm. different terms, of course. Of course. Um, what are maybe like the most important pieces of information that an owner should have maybe on the daily or weekly or monthly? What are like kind of the, yeah. the, the rocks they should have in their lives? Cool, if I can step back for two seconds and just yeah, share please. that I believe simplicity in the information is critical. Um, I think it mm-hmm. can be really overwhelming, particularly for creative people, right? Uh, 
most yeah. creative people come up from the creative side. Uh, it'd be like asking me to build a website. I don't have a clue how to do it. Um, so for me as, a, as, an, as an accountant handing you information without, mm -hmm. in a way that I respectfully, I think a lot of accountants do, I think is a bit of a fail for you, the entrepreneur. So um, I think first of all, it's let's go back to really simple information. And um, so there's simply understanding your financial position, where you are now. That's sort of step one then two is what are those key metrics? And I think you were driving mm -hmm. to kind of the key metric side. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'd love to touch on both of those and start whichever side yeah. you want to start on. Why don't we start with the first? I like the first uh, one. Okay, the, the simplicity. So, I actually have a couple of slides here and I'm going to describe them and um, they, they're all available to anybody that's listening, uh, whether they email me or you, I'm, I'm happy to distribute these. Um, I look, I, I kind of feel like you should be able to look and understand your current financial position in three to five minutes a month without ever having mm. to look at a set of financial statements. That, mm. if you can do that, you will own your numbers and never be mm. bogged down in the details. Yeah, you may have to dive in to kind of understand and learn some stuff or as you get more sophisticated. But I always start with cash, cash forecast, always, always mm. cash. And so yeah. if you are currently doing a cash flow forecast, congratulations, if you're not, um, it's, you know, I recommend you start working on that with your bookkeeper. The thing I would love for everyone to implement is a very simple chart, just a line chart. If you can picture like a standard stock chart you would have seen on the news mm -hmm. or whatever, just going from left to today, across to right, you can see it going up and down, up and down, up and down with zero. And if you have a line of credit, the, the line of credit mm -hmm. line there as well. So you can visually see, hey, I'm gonna crash in three months. So you now mm -hmm. have three months to plan for your cash flow problem. Do I need to get some advances? Do I need to go to the bank? Do I need to push out some payables? Whatever it is, you've got that time as opposed to, what do you mean we don't have enough for payroll tomorrow? Which mm -hmm. that's happened to every entrepreneur at some point in their career, um, for sure. So that's what I like and let the, leave it to your accountant. And, and by the way, all of this is based on your bookkeeping is providing numbers with integrity, accurate data mm -hmm. first. If you're not even there, that's a different conversation, um, which we probably won't get to in 20 minutes today. Or I can talk to it for mm -hmm. two seconds. So from there, what I like to do is create a visual representation of the financials. So I'm looking at a, a slide now, which shows four charts, and it's basically tracking your income, your bottom line income. And it's a chart that's showing up and down month by month. What am I doing this year each month? and comparing it to last year each month. And the other thing I like to have on here is a budget line as well. So you can literally, in the blink of an eye, am I tracking same as last year, better than last year, same as budget, better than budget. And we're gonna look at that every month, but we're also gonna look at it cumulative for the year. So if you have one great month or one bad month, yeah, that's wonderful, but it's, it's the cumulative amount over the year. So. And then on the same page, I'm also looking at sales. Same thing. How are my sales compared to budget? How are my sales compared to last year? If I know I'm tracking to budget and I know I'm tracking to last year, I'm generally pretty relaxed. And I think the important thing, and I actually got this from Alan Milt, um, who I mentioned at the, uh, at the top, you'll notice I started with cash, then I went to income, then I went to sales. Nothing drives me crazier than everybody walking around talking about how much sales they've got, but they're not making any money. 
I don't care how much the sales are. I care how much we're making at the end of the day. Um, so from there, I move on to, and all of these are directly off the financial statement, so you don't have to do a bunch of math. There's nothing complicated. I go on to gross margin, same thing. Am I tracking the margin that I want? I'm talking about gross margin. This is before your overheads, before your costs. This is your sales minus your cost of delivery, which for most of your listeners is going to be primarily your production labor and maybe some other production costs if you've got any um, you know, uh, production-related costs. Um, so gross margin, are we tracking at 50 to 60% type of thing? Um, down to the next level, how is our overall overhead expenses? You know, are we in that 35% range, 35% of sales? And you can see, am I above what I expect to be below? So each of these, um, and then I do a quick one on accounts receivable, accounts payable. On average, how many days does it take me to collect? On average, how many days does it take me to pay? If you look at that, all of that was on three slides. Mm -hmm. And once you've gotten used to it one or two times, it's going to take you literally three minutes and you're going to know exactly where you stand. The solutions aren't in there, but you will know without even looking at your financials, am I doing okay? Mm -hmm. um, and from there, then we start to get into the other, the, the second part of kind of what, I, what you're asking to look at. And this is a blend of what's already on your financials, but also... Um, what uh, uh, what are some of the other metrics? The things that I think are really critical for an agency, I think if I only measured one thing, and again, I'm about simplicity, so if I only measured one thing, it would be what's my average contribution, or you can call that average profit, average margin, there's different words for it, average contribution per client, or per job, depending on your business, whichever makes the most sense. Sometimes you could have multiple jobs for a client, you just wanna measure it. So let me just define that real quick. That's what your sales are, how much you, you, you sell this to your um, client for, minus again, the cost to deliver it, primarily labor. Um, mm -hmm. If you're, I don't know, shooting an ad, if there's production costs of shooting an ad, include those costs in there. But exclude mm -hmm. any overhead, no rent, no, um, reception costs, none of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that's so critical, particularly for marketing agencies, mm -hmm. is because it's so easy to end up with a ton of small jobs. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, no matter how big or small the job is, you still have to win the business. You still have to prospect. Mm -hmm. You still have to close it. You still have to um, uh, staff it, manage it, mm -hmm. invoice it, blah, blah, blah. There's all that stuff you have to do regardless. And whether it's a big job or small job, you still have to do it. And, you know, as an example of a marketing agency we were working with, um, they have fairly large jobs on average. And, and when we first looked at it, their number was under $24,000 per job. And what was it? 60% of their jobs were actually under $10,000. 60%. And that represented, so it was like 60 out of 100 jobs for easy math was wow. worth 8% of their revenue. So they took 60% of their effort to 8% of their revenue. It's not quite an 80-20 rule, but it's pretty close. Um, wow. And so by just making that one, understanding that one metric, they stopped taking jobs under 10,000, and they're now tracking at 42 as their average job. And so it only took three or four jobs to replace those 60. That, to me, if I only looked at one thing in a, for a um, mm -hmm 
uh, a marketing agency, it's average contribution per client or job. Yeah. I can follow up with a couple more, but I've been talking for like about five minutes. So I'm going to let you uh, jump in with questions or comments there. So on that note, um, there's almost two different types of agencies out there right now. There are those that create brands and websites and they're kind of like asset builders, right? They sure. build a house. Yeah. And then there's the other type of agency, which are those that maintain the house. You know, mm -hmm. the house cleaners, the, you know, those that continue to come every month and tweak and renovate. Sure. So, you know, residual income and big one-time incomes. And mm -hmm. it's funny, I, I had a conversation recently with someone where um, he was saying, oh man, I'm so jealous that you have, you know, regular every income coming in every month for all your clients. And I said, I was like, man, I just heard how much someone paid for a brand and a website. I'm like, that is incredible how much you get these massive spikes of revenue. But then he was saying, oh, but then the revenue, you know, the down payment comes on my books. But then sometimes I won't get the second half or the, you know, the other 40% for sometimes six, seven months. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the client delays because they keep mm -hmm. delaying things for different reasons. So when you look at those two different business models within our sector, how would you say, like, what are tips that you have for each? What are, like, things that you would say? Because speak to each of those ones there. Well, for both sides, the grass is always greener on the other side. So I yes. feel the same way, you know. Um, I happen to have a recurring revenue model. I do like that. Um, probably one of the critical things for the big project-based um, agencies is really moving and making sure you're, and, and I, I'm going to avoid getting too accountant-y, uh, geek sounding, but make sure you're doing accrual accounting. So uh, I'm going to take a big number. So you get a big, huge project. It's a fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar project. Um, I, I don't have a sense of your your listeners kind of how big their projects are, but regardless, we'll say a hundred thousand just for round numbers. Hundred is great. E easy math. Yeah, yeah, easy math. So yeah, you and let's just say you get a deposit up front for a third, and you get mm -hmm. paid a third uh, halfway through and a third at the end. Again, nice mm -hmm. and easy. And let's say it's a it's a six month project, so you kind of anticipate every two months um, you're getting thirty thousand uh, thirty three thousand dollars. So the problem if you just record the revenue when you receive it mm -hmm. is you're going to have a great month in month one. Mm -hmm. You're going to show a disaster in month two, a great yeah. month in month three when you get your second payment, mm -hmm. a disaster in month four, and a great month in month five. Especially mm -hmm. for that that pushes out and you don't collect it till month six or month seven. You now have three months in a row of a disaster. So the critical piece is really you want to think about lining up how much revenue you're bringing in. It's called revenue mm -hmm. recognition in accounting speak um, against how much work you're putting against it. Yeah. So, okay. you know, if, if your hundred thousand dollars, your estimate is it's going to take a uh, thousand hours of your team's time. Mm -hmm. And in the first month you spend only a hundred of those because there's not, you know, you're just setting things up. Really, that that's a hundred out of a thousand, 10 percent hmm. of your revenue. So I would actually be collecting in 10 percent of a hundred thousand or 10 grand in month one. That hmm. way, you're actually the work you're doing and the, and the effort you're putting out is lining up with how much yeah. revenue you're bringing in. It just smooths it out a little bit. So essentially, almost freeze the money that's in there and then let it drip into your account is it would be a good way to describe accruing right like frozen money and then it you know you let it come out a piece by piece when it's proper when you yeah actually i mean the work you know there's some schools of thought where you actually put it in a separate bank account and literally drip it out the way oh, you're saying wow um okay. i'm not a huge fan of that i think it just adds a level of yeah. complexity a, a level of yeah stuff you don't need 
Um, But yeah, you can think of it that way from the revenue side. It's just you're separating now. When am I recognizing the revenue from when does the cash come in? And it just smooths things out. And it if you think about it, like the principle is called matching. We're matching our revenue with our expenses. It kind of makes sense. Some things in accounting actually make sense. <laughs> awesome. And then from those that are in a similar business to yours, the, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, accrued revenue model, what are yeah. some kind of, you know, downfalls or concerns or things to watch out for in our work? Yeah, I mean, I'd say keep doing it. <laughs> I, I personally do love the recurring revenue model. Um, I think it makes predictability so much easier. You don't have feast and famine. Um, you don't have three big projects landing at the same time. Um, so I think, you know, just like any other, and this is true for both sides, uh, both styles, but I really think about, you know, how are you um, generating revenue and is there a way to kind of shift the thinking around it? Like, um, you know, are you doing say 10 hours for a thousand bucks a month for a whole bunch of clients and how do I get my average revenue per client up? That's kind of the original one because if I'm dealing with a hundred clients at a thousand dollars per client versus one big one at a hundred thousand dollars, there's a lot more compliance and admin to keeping up all of those other clients. And, you know, I personally believe in business and I mean, I'll just ask you who complains your big clients or your small ones generally. Well, well, yeah, it depends, depends. But again, our, some of our smallest ones who have the smallest budgets can be noisier. Yeah. Right. And it's partly because, you know, if you've got like a 500 or thousand dollar job, it's just, you don't have that much energy and time to put into it. And so it slips through the cracks and those are generally on average, the smaller clients are complaining more. So if you're kind of letting your average bar fall down and you're taking on, well, it's, you know, it's a thousand bucks a month, so it's 12 grand in the year. Sure. But that's a year's worth of management you've got for an only a $12,000 project. That's a lot of work, a lot of invoice, and you got to call them up if they don't pay, blah, 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 blah. So I, I like through on both sides, but especially with the recurring revenue, move the, the needle up in terms of cost. So we um, work in an industry, you know, it's called marketing, PR, you know, that kind of thing, you know, advertising. And there, you know, there's been a few kind of like trickles of people who have done like industry reports and industry mm-hmm. standards. But, you know, it's incredible when you look at like, there's a ton of great data on retail, a ton of great data on like, you know, selling widgets. But from your standpoint, what are you seeing as the averages when it comes to like profit? Like, you know, mm. at the bottom line, EBITDA, like what is an industry average that you're seeing for advertising, PR kind of marketing world? If, or, yeah. or does that even exist? Have you seen any data on that? Yeah, there's definitely data. I, I, let me just, um, I, I'm just going to pick up on something you said. You mentioned um, profit and EBITDA in the same yeah. Um, yeah. sentence. They are actually a little bit different. They're fairly close for um a marketing agency. They generally are pretty aligned. So EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, right? So that's more relevant for a manufacturing business where you have a lot of equipment and you're depreciating equipment. So, you know, I've got a million dollars worth of assets and every year I write off a hundred thousand of it. Just again, simple math. Um, Marketing agencies tend not to have a lot of depreciating assets. So the depreciation and amortization generally isn't big. So unless you've got a lot of bank debt or you're paying interest, EBITDA and profit are should be relatively close. But I just want to be clear that that's not the same. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, So um, in terms of averages, you know, if I'm a marketing agency, I want to be looking for a 15 percent bottom line. 
Okay. Okay. And that's and okay. that's including um, a fair owner's compensation. So if you're yeah. providing a function in the business, you're yeah. maybe doing yeah. some of the creative work, you're administrating yeah. it, whatever. You include your salary as a market level salary. If your yeah. business, if your agency is doing well and you're paying yourself a quarter million bucks, don't load your bon your extra salary or your owner's part of that as part of that equation. Okay. Yeah. But you know, if you're doing below 10%, you're, you might be struggling because if things, you, you have a bad month or whatever, you might start to find cash being a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. 10 to 15. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're better than a lot. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. If you're 15 plus, then congratulations. You can kind of take a breath and say, actually, I'm, I'm doing okay. And of course, that's on that accrual basis. So don't yeah. consider 15%. You get a big deposit for 50% of a $100,000 con. Yay, I'm at 20%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to, you know, again, this is based on your having integrity in the numbers. Wow. So if someone is pulling in gross a million dollars and they're paying themselves, you know, a, a normal salary for that area sure. and they're pulling in, they should be pulling in 10 to 15 to 20%. And that's kind of like, you know, good, great, awesome. Would you say pre, those are the three numbers? Pre-tax income. Okay. Pre-tax income. Pre okay. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, they, you should be like, you know, if you've got 150,000 of pre-tax income uh, on a million dollar business, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you're doing well. And, and there's just also a general rule that as you start to scale the business, it does get easier to get to that 15 plus percent while you're scaling it's going to be lower because you're investing in right. the growth it's just rarely have i seen a growing business with a big bottom line once you and and similarly you know there's a point at which you'll need a receptionist and if you're doing a half a million dollars you get a receptionist now you're doing five million and you have still only have one receptionist so mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to get to that 15% when you're a half a million dollar agency, unless you're super lean and you're doing, you know, you are the receptionist and you are the creative yeah. and you are the producer yeah. and you are the everything. Um, in fact, there's, there's like a bit of a bell curve where when you're small solopreneur, one or two people, you can mm -hmm. be more profitable as you're growing your four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people. It gets harder until you, you know, you start to get to that larger group as well. So would you say there's almost like a, like a, a kind of an awkward, uh, what do you call it, puberty period, yeah. would you say it's like 10 to 10 to 20, would you say is the puberty period? And then above that, it's kind of, you, you're a teenager? Or no, probably, no you're, you're a young adult? You know, it's probably not a terrible uh, analogy, and it's, and it's probably relatively good numbers. Like, oh. I, think, I think that really small, um, under five people, I think you can be really pr uh, um, uh, uh, profitable. And I think a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, not just in marketing, but a lot of entrepreneurs mm. are like, well, we're growing and all of a sudden I'm not making any money. Like, you know, I went from a half a million to one and a half million. And I literally, I, I made more money at a half a million and that's mm -hmm. pretty typical. So, you know, go in eyes open. If you're in that earlier stage where you've got two or three of you and you're super efficient mm. and you've got yeah. one room, you've got, you know, that's all you need. Cause there's only the three yeah. of you. You don't need a, yeah. an office with 12, 12 yeah. rooms. So, that, that does happen until you kind of get through that range. And I mean, I see kind of when you get to 12, 15, 20 people is you can start to leverage and get through that pain right. period again. Um, yeah. But, you know, you, you've got to be getting to the, that few million dollars. It's yeah. not always yeah. there's exceptions to every rule, but just be aware that if you want to grow, you're going to feel some pain. Sorry. So would you, and not to just put words in your mouth, but would you almost say, hey, as an agency, some advice could be as, you know what, stay lean and small, like at a five person shop, 
Or if you're going to go for 15 plus, just be ready to go through pain and then know that you're going to be a 15 plus job. But don't try to do anything in the middle. Um, I mean, it's not to say you can't make it work in the middle. Like there are, you know, I think it's more a function of pick your strategy. And whatever your strategy is, if it's stay small, stay small and be super lean. If it's to grow, grow as quickly as you can and make sure you have enough cash to do it. Because inevitably you're going to take on some clients that fail and you're not going to get paid. And as you're growing, you're going to slip up on some service jobs. It's just the the nature of growing a business. It happens to anybody that grows quickly. Um, So you are going to have pain. But if that's your strategy, just know that that's coming. And if your strategy is, you know what, I just want to be a million dollar agency. You can be a super lean million dollar agency. It's more yeah. that million dollars while you're still growing. Yeah. And keep in mind what your contribution margin is mm-hmm. while you're a million dollars. Because it yeah. could be a not very, because you could have all these costs that go along with the client and it's yeah. a very small margin. So a lot of us in our industry have bookkeepers, right? We have a bookkeeper who does our stuff, whether they're on site once a month or they're off site. And then we talk to our accountant once a year or sometimes twice a year. Yeah. So tell me the difference between that model, which is the norm versus Mm -hmm. what shift does and and Mm -hmm. what are the benefits? So I want to share with you kind of what the accounting stack looks like. Um, This is what a typical accounting department is. So at the bottom, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of function rather than title. Mm-hmm. So you said bookkeeper. Yeah. I think of that as the transactional function. That's the day-to-day yeah. stuff, the book, all the bookkeeping, the payables, receivables, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. The stuff everybody hates. I'm an accountant and I hate doing it. So actually, I'm not even allowed to do it anymore. Um, so that's really kind of what I think most people have, as you're mm-hmm. saying, agencies, as you're growing up as a business. Yeah. Above that is the reporting and compliance function. Fairly self-explanatory on the reporting. Um, that's your monthly yeah. financials, et cetera. But really important to note, it also includes your cash flow forecasting. It also includes your budgeting. Um, so that's part of reporting. If you're not getting that, you don't have that, that um, function mm-hmm. filled. But the compliance is the super fun stuff like your SOPs, your standing operating procedures for your accounting department, uh, what, yeah. what accounting systems you're using, uh, what are your yeah. policies, et cetera. And so... That typically is handled by someone who's called a controller, um, maybe a senior accountant, assistant controller. And that's where you'll start to see people with a CPA designation. Um, Quick note, uh, in Canada, it used to be CMA, CGA, CPA, or CA, CMA, CGA. We all merged. We're all CPAs now. Um, And at the top is the strategic function, usually handled by a director of finance, uh, CFO level. And they handle the strategy. So when we were talking about what is it going to take for us to get from a five-person shop to a 20-person shop, they'll model mm-hmm. it out. They can you know, challenge your assumptions. If you need to raise financing, that's the person mm-hmm. who does it. So the challenge that I think so many um, smaller business owners, and I'm really talking until you're at least $5 million, they generally only have the transactional function. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like if you think about a house, you know, you've got... Uh, your general contractor, you've got trades and you've got laborers. Yeah. The bookkeeper is the laborer. So if all mm-hmm. you have is a laborer, it's, uh, a bookkeeper, it's kind of like hiring a laborer to build an entire house. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so there are yeah. there are some great bookkeepers out there, but they tend not to have mm-hmm. this game skill set um, that you need. So the gaps you might be feeling are I'm not getting the reporting I need as fast as I need or it doesn't feel right or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't understand what the information I'm getting. Those are the challenges and problems that I think a lot of businesses face. Whereas um, uh, shift our models, we do the entire stack. 
So we are the mm. bookkeeper. We are the can do the reporting yeah. and compliance, and we do the strategic as well. So we handle wow. the whole thing. Um, okay. And you know, there's so many opportunities to leverage technology um, to use automation and bookkeeping to reduce the compliance cost for a bookkeeper. If you have a bookkeeper in house, you know, I would challenge if you actually need that. You know, you don't have a yeah. lawyer in house. You don't really need a, an accountant in house. Not anymore. Not if you've got the right team. And there's some great outsource solutions out there. Wow. So what would what would this something like this cost in comparison to what we're paying now? Like what how do you how do you measure what the cost is? Is it is a sliding yeah. scale for depending on how big the company is? Um so for us it's a bit different. Um uh we tend to work with people that are already accustomed to having a full-time bookkeeper. So yeah. um it's probably agencies that have at least a dozen plus people. And Generally, it's the agencies that are growing and going through that pain that I talked mm -hmm. about earlier. And yeah. the pain is yeah. compounded by not understanding uh, their numbers. They, they, they can't get what yeah. they need. So yeah. um, our pricing tends to start a little bit cheaper than if you had a bookkeeper in-house full-time. Um, wow. So it's, it's usually a, it's about three grand a month flat fee no matter what your size. Well, not totally no matter what your size is. But we don't really care about transaction volume because we can manage that. And with that, we handle all the reporting and compliance. Um, so you get a pop-up SOP manual tweaked to your business. You get cash flow forecasting, budgeting. So we kind of call that bookkeeping on steroids, right? Like right. you're used yeah. to bookkeeping, but it's bookkeeping on steroids. Um, and then yeah. the strategic function is looked at a little bit different. And it's really for more complicated, larger businesses who, who need that. You get a little bit of the strategic with our bookkeeping on steroids. But yeah, that's, that's generally for larger businesses who are 5 million plus. That's amazing. And how does someone find you or how do they how do they begin a conversation with, sure. with you or someone from Shift? And, you know, if I'm, I'm also I'm happy to also do something, a, a free giveaway for your listeners here. The first five people mm -hmm. that actually email me, Spencer at yeah. shiftfinancial.co, not .com, yeah. .co. It's because somebody yeah. bought the .com and wants to charge 14000 for me to buy it. And I don't ever want to be held hostage by anybody. <laughs> yes. So I went yeah. with .co. Spencer at shiftfinancial.co. And um, if you just say, send me some charts, what I'm going to do is the way I talked about making your visuals, uh, making your mm -hmm. financials really visual, I'll do just a free session using your numbers and I will give you your information um, in chart data visualized form that I was talking about. No charge, zero, like I, I promise you will feel zero pressure for me. I just love sharing this information and, and having entrepreneurs get like the wow sensation of actually understanding their numbers. So anybody can get a hold of me through that email, uh, but the first five people that say, please send me charts, um, I'll send you um, just a list of stuff to send me and, and you'll get back some charts in the format like I showed before, plus a little bit extra because we only had so much time here. This is awesome. Spencer, seriously, thank you so much. I think I, yeah. I talked to so many agency owners that struggle with this yeah. and are frustrated by this yeah. stuff and you know, the bookkeeper can only provide so much. And so to yeah. add a bookkeeper on steroids, yeah. plus some of the strategy, like that's going to be a game changer, I think, for most agencies out there who, again, are at that growth period yeah. and uh, need something, a strategic partner like Shift. I would feel remiss if I didn't go backwards and just um, finish please. a question you asked before. I think we're probably at time please. here. Um, no, no, please. You did ask about kind of what are the key things I should look at. I said if there's one thing I would look at, it's the contribution by job, the average yeah. contribution by job. Um, I want to share the second thing because I think it's Please. it's it's one and one A. They're both critical. The other one yeah. for I think virtually any agency is going to be labor utilization, and what that means ah. to me in English is yeah. for your 
production staff, not your admin, but for your yeah. production staff, yeah. what percent of their time is billable versus what mm. percent of their time is non-billable? So, yeah. you know, 40 hours a week. Um, yeah. If somebody's billing 30 hours, that's 75% utilization. And I like mm. tracking that by individual, letting them know what the utilization is, yeah. because two things yeah. are probably going to happen. One, they're going to get more disciplined about actually um, charging their time and recording their time mm. properly. There's some great uh, time tracking apps for this. Um, yeah. Harvest. Yeah, is one. Harvest is a great yeah. one. T-Sheets is a good one. Yeah. Um, there's a few yeah. that they all connect online to QuickBooks Online. They all have apps. Um, uh, but yeah, getting a handle on that is going to be one of the key drivers of profitability for a marketing agency, getting that labor utilization up because you're paying them whether they're profitable or not, whether they're productive or not. Um, mm -hmm. You know, allow time for admin and going to the bathroom and things like that. Um, so you don't expect 100% utilization, but if you've got a highly productive person, 80%, you know, if you're getting your people at 80 plus percent, I think they're doing pretty well. If they're below 70 and they're production without management or, or admin functions, you're, you need to bump them up a bit. And I think when we started doing that here at Jelly, before that, someone would say, I'm very busy, mm. but then we would give them the sobering stats of saying, hey, yeah. you're only at like 40% utilization, what you should not feel busy. Like, yeah, yeah you're... Yeah. Which, of course, the, it's the company's responsibility to make sure they have enough places to yeah. build their time productively. Like if, you know... Yeah. Um, you know, and the corollary of that is how much are you writing off? It's not necessarily a loss, but if somebody you're charging somebody out at a hundred bucks an hour and they're costing you 40 bucks an hour. So that's a 60 margin employee, um, a hundred minus 40 divided by a hundred. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if, if they don't charge a hundred percent of the time, you're still profitable with them. But if you've got a job that can only allow a thousand hours and your staff charges 1200, you're writing off 200 hours. So that's the corollary to the, that. That one's a little more complex. It takes a bit more getting into, yeah. but I would start with labor utilization. If, you, if you're not tracking it now, it's a great one. Tons of easy research on the internet. It's not a complicated one. Um, Got to get your numbers right though. This is awesome. Spencer, I think this is a, a huge resource for a lot of creatives because I think a lot of folks I meet and, and talk to were hobbyists. Like they were artists, they were creatives, they were yeah. just really good at social media, really good at video. Yeah. And then they stumbled into creating these agencies. Uh, and the only thing we've ever known about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only thing we've ever known about on TV and in movies and, and from peers is like, oh, you hire a bookkeeper and you get an account and you see once or twice mm -hmm. a year. So the idea of a partner like this is, uh, is really smart. And, I, and again, yeah. I don't know of any other companies that do this like this. So this is, uh, this is really cool. There are a ton of outsourced uh, agencies out there. And so, you know, uh, there are definitely less expensive options if we're beyond your means, like maybe you have a part-time bookkeeper and you can only afford 500 bucks right now. There are other outsourced solutions out there. The, the couple suggestions I would do when you're looking, um, number one, I would really zero in on what the, the, um, uh, the history and the credibility of the person who's gonna do your books are. Um, there are solutions out there that are really tech related where they're not accountants. I think you gotta have somebody who has some accounting knowledge and skill in there. So that's number one. And so if you are looking for an outsource solution, um, there is some diligence that I think is really important to do. Um, number one is just confirm the credibility of the person who you're outsourcing to and who your lead person is. Because you might have a company where you're they're being passed off to somebody. And I, no joke, I, I saw this, I was looking to poach some staff one time and I went to someone's website and 
the person who was doing the books, the previous job was a barista at Starbucks. I am not lying. So do your diligence. Make sure they come with the knowledge and experience you want. Number two, um, ask them about their SOPs. It's something you don't want to have to deal with. So make sure they have a book of SOPs that they can implement for you, just part of the cost. And number three, ask to see what a monthly package looks like. So am I going to get my things in a form I understand? Or am I going to be overwhelmed by a bunch of financials, which is equally overwhelming to me if I have to build a website? I don't even know where to start. Don't make me figure out a website. So um, uh, those are, if you're going to do three pieces of diligence, I would suggest doing that. There's a ton of uh, options out there. There's literally more every day. We're not the only solutions. So just, I beg you to do your diligence. That's all. This is awesome. Well, everyone, this was Spencer, Shift Financial Insights. Um, Again, some great tips, some great ideas here. So things that we can apply right away. Um, Some great numbers as well to kind of see what industry averages are. So again, if you're looking for um, this sort of support, this sort of partner, and and it's great. You're offering the first five people to email Spencer. Get a free, um, the charts done with your numbers. So be sure to reach out to Spencer. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Really thankful to have you on here. I really enjoyed it. It was a good chat. Awesome. Thanks for everyone for joining us uh, this episode and we'll see you next time on the Marketing Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.